Well, good morning, Heritage Baptist Church. Thank you, Marty, brother. Uh, whoa, watch that step. Uh, well, you know, I've met most of you all, uh, well, probably half in, the, in this crowd, but it's always a real privilege to get to know new members here over the years. Uh, if you have never met me, my name is David Robinson. I was born in Oklahoma City, uh, moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota when my dad was transferred uh, with General Mills back in 1969. Uh, graduated from high school in Minneapolis and came back south uh, to the University of Oklahoma. And those, that's my career in Oklahoma. My family moved back to Oklahoma City when I was a senior at the University of Oklahoma. And in case you're an OSU fan, we are too. I just want you to know, and K-State fans, uh, we've, we've done um, tuition at K-State and University of Oklahoma, but my nephew, my little brother's son, was Zach Robinson, starting quarterback for Oklahoma State from 2008 to 2012. So don't throw rocks at me because I'm a Sooner, because I really love OSU Cowboys. And I always disappointed my fraternity brothers uh, when I started cheering for OSU, and I always wanted Zach to beat the Sooners. It never happened, unfortunately. And when, uh, when uh, I would root for OSU against OU, my fraternity brothers were super confused. And I always said that blood is thicker than institution. Amen? So it was easy to do. But our relationship with Heritage has, has been constant since the early 80s. In fact, my father was the first... Uh, worship director of your church, Frank Robinson, and Karen and I were at the very, very first, I mean very, very first um, service in the Herndon's living room uh, back in the 80s, and we were home on a missionary furlough, and uh, we knew Dr. and Mrs. Herndon and Chip and Cindy and a bunch of others that were going here at the time, and, and we got to be a part of that. You all have supported us uh, financially, with, also with your friendship and your prayers over the years, and we're super grateful. So we're super glad to be here. I'll, I'll do a quick introduction of our family, and Karen will join me here in a second. Karen and I serve with CREW, that formerly known in the United States as Campus Crusade for Christ International. It's still called that outside the United States. Um, we have three children, Abby, Dan, and Kate. Uh, Abby serves as a missionary in East Asia. It's a, a big country in East Asia that we're not allowed to say. And and then Kate also serves with the crew campus ministry and her family in Kansas City after coming back from East Asia. They were, those three children up there were raised in Budapest, Hungary, where we served for uh, the first 29 years of our career were focused on Eastern Europe and Russia. And 18 of those 29 years, we lived in Budapest, Hungary. And on the side, began to plant churches with Baptist, Reform, and evangelical church, evangelical free churches, and crew allowed us to do that because as they, they were under communism and, and coming out of communism, we were seeing a revival, and we needed to, new, to, to do new church plants to keep up with it. And crew made that into a ministry, invited me to lead it here in the United States, which I do. Now we work in partnership with uh, all evangelical denominations to uh, serve the city, plant new churches, and make Jesus known in a saturation model uh, from city after city. So we're in, engaged in 36 cities in the United States, and you'll see why here in a second. But that's our family, and, and uh, they're, 
most important thing to me. So let's get after it. Well, I want to share a little bit about motivation and perspective. I don't think you all need a lot of motivation because you've always been a phenomenal church and want to sh- relevantly share your faith, effectively share your faith. But as people who you know want to share the, go- the gospel, um, it's, we, we know how difficult it is. It's, it's difficult. And as our culture has become increasingly distant from our Judeo-Christian roots, old forms of evangelism can create an obstacle to the gospel. And although the word evangelism in some evangelical circles uh, polarizes today, it still remains the highest priority uh, missionally for God's people. Staying motivation is essential, so I'm going to share with you two verses that motivate me. In this psalm, it says that those who have friendship with the Lord, that their souls will abide in well-being, just their souls. And we know that no one in our cities can experience well-being or shalom, peace like a river, fully until they hear the gospel, repent of their sin, and come to know Christ. Amen? Without, without peace with God, you cannot have well-being. And this psalm says that. I'll, I'll share with you my, this is one of my life verses. It says in Isaiah 48, 17 through 19, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way that you should go. If only you would pay attention to my commandments, then your welfare would be like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea and your descendants would be like sand your offspring like its grain, and their name would never be cut off or destroyed from my presence. And in this passage, you see the pleading heart of God, who actually Paul picks up in 2 Corinthians 5.20, that he wants to plead through you after giving you a word and a ministry of reconciliation. He wants to plead through you, be reconciled to God. And here we see God saying it himself through the prophet of Isaiah, and he says, If only you would pay attention to my commandments, then your peace, this is where we get the the, the song, Peace Like a River, uh, your well-being, your peace, your shalom would be like a river teeming with life. And God wants to appeal through us, oh, I much prefer well-being for you than trouble. I want your peace. I created you to be at peace with me and that your well-being would be strong and full of life your whole life long, but for that to happen, you need my righteousness to crash in upon you, my grace, my love, and you need to repent to receive it. So these are motivations for me. God greatly prefers that people keep His way because it leads to well-being. So connecting people to the gospel then is essential, and that's why we're here today, to answer how can we connect people to Jesus effectively. Um, I want to just remind you of the lostness of America. So in the United States, you can go to our webpage, and we have reams of statistics, churchmovements.com, of, to remind all of us how lost America really is. While we were doing podcasts, Bible studies, pure flicks, film festivals, uh, sermons, community groups, all very important things. Somehow, right under our noses while we were doing all of those good things, 
America became the fourth largest mission field in the world, right behind China, India, and Russia. 160 million are post-truth in the United States of America. Post-truth have people have eight markers. The top three are don't go to church, don't believe in the Bible, don't believe in God. So these are largely atheists, 160 million. Uh, 3,700 churches, uh, the SEND Institute tells us, close every year. 2.5 million have left the church at least from 2014 to 2019. Uh, I could go on and on. 86% of the millennial generation are post-truth uh, people, so not Christians. Uh, and they say that Generation Z will double the amount of atheism than uh, than the millennial generation gave us. In just one generation, double the population of non-Christians. So, this is a very important topic. Uh, it's not going to be easy. When we moved to Budapest, Hungary, uh, this, this, is, this is all the evangelism prep I needed to do. So, it's a communist country, and uh, it's illegal to propagate the gospel, and you could be thrown in jail, you could die, lose a scholarship, lose a job if you were a Christian. And when we showed up over there, this is what we learned to do. We'd, we'd go just walk up to somebody on a beach or in the city and say, uh, have you ever talked to anybody about God? And they go, of course not. And uh, have you ever met anybody that believed in God person that personally is life? No. Science proves that God doesn't exist. Uh, I happen to believe in God, and I have two degrees uh, in, from the university. And they go, what? And I go, would you like to sit down and just talk to somebody who does believe in God? And they go, sure. And it would lead to, it was that easy. And it would lead to four or five hour conversations. And the reason was because people wanted to do something that was illegal. <laughs> talk about God. Well, that, that's how fertile the soil was when we moved there. But over time, it got harder and harder and harder. And I would say to you, in missionaries in Eastern Europe anyway, um, would say, oh, it's like Prague, or oh, it's like Belgrade, oh, it's like Zagreb. And that meant the soil is very, very hard. And I'm telling you, and I've been in the ministry for 42 years, uh, that the United States, especially in the city, in the heart of cities, uh, is harder than Prague. And it exists. So it's not going to be easy uh, to turn this around. It's going to take a lot of commitment, a lot of patience, and a lot of accountability, a lot of time, a lot of creativity, a lot of trial and error. But let's get going. So I want to just share. I'm, I'm going to repeat this uh, for those who aren't here today for my sermon. But today, currently, churches uh, are in specialized ministries like Athletes in Action or uh, crew campus or navigators or specialized ministries and, and local churches, especially in suburbs, are functioning like greenhouses. And in the greenhouse, you have a very controlled environment. Uh, it's a good thing. You produce great flowers and great plants and great Christians in greenhouses, is my illustration here. Um, you know when the spiritual, social, and emotional inputs are going to be given, you, you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen on Sunday morning. You know what ABF stands for. You know what you do on Wednesday nights, VBS, men's retreat. You know exactly what it's going to be like. And, and things grow there for sure. But today's world is less like a greenhouse, and it's more like 
a wild field where there's weather patterns and animals and winds and rains and storms, and we have got to learn as Christians to thrive in a wild field. And in a wild field, there is a flower, you call it a weed, but there is a flower that has learned to survive in the wild field, and it's that little white bubbly flower there. It's not a weed. It's called the dandelion. And we're, in, we're encouraging uh, Christians to think of yourselves as dandelions. You need to learn how to survive in the wild fields of postmodernism, wild fields of a post-truth culture that changed right under your noses. And wouldn't it be great if we had seeds, those seeds that flew off, some of these scattering seeds fly off and produce 100 times uh, the amount of dandelions. Wouldn't it be great if that happened as a church? But some, and I would like to think you to think of those seeds flying off like parachutes as conversations. And it's more today about moments than it is about events. It's more about conversations and seeding conversations with the gospel and learning how to turn things to the gospel where you live, work, learn, and play. But wouldn't it be great if if more and more and more had the confidence, the skill, and capacity, and motivation to understand the people out there, show them Jesus, show them care, and empower each other to share the gospel. But each dandelion scatters millions of seeds in the field, and we want to see millions of believers envisioned and equipped and empowered to become like dandelions. Uh, this is my beautiful wife, Karen. We've been married 42 years. The reason why we look so young is because we were married illegally at age five. And, uh, but anyway, uh, Karen's going to tell us about the modes of evangelism. It's very important. But this is the vision to get out there and, and seed conversations and see new churches planted everywhere because we need them. We need 160,000 new churches in America, 160,000. We need to plant 8,000 a year. And we're, we're planting 4,000 a year now, but 3,700 close every year. So we're only having a net of 300 when we need to be having a net of 8,000 to keep up with the exponential growth of, of the non-Christian population. Okay. One of the ways that uh, can help us think about evangelism as a church is to think of evangelism in three ways. Basically, the main three ways in which we do it. I'm going to describe these three ways, and I want you to be thinking and find yourself in one of these three ways. And when I'm finished describing them, I'm going to have a show of hands, and you're going to tell us which of these ways you came to Christ, okay? The first way is through a body of believers. We call it a community way of coming to Christ. This is when you were exposed to the body of Christ or a Christian community of relationships. It could have been um, with friends at school. You noticed, wow, they're really different. I kind of want to hang around them, see what's going on with them. Maybe someone invited you to be a part of a small Christian group before you were a believer, and you were invited into a fellowship in someone's home maybe. Maybe you were part of a service project where you met believers, and you were impressed by them, and you heard the gospel through them, community. The second one is the natural way. This is through the witness of someone you knew personally. It could have been a parent, a Sunday school teacher, a coach, or a friend. 
someone that you knew that knew Jesus and shared him with you, maybe over a cup of coffee. The third way is the ministry mode, and that's when you came to Christ through a ministry of outreach and evangelism. An example of this would be someone inviting you to a Billy Graham event or vacation Bible school maybe when you were a child or a backyard Bible club, a youth camp, or maybe a Christian film showing. So it was a, the church was having a purposeful event to share the gospel. Okay, so how many of you would say that you came to Christ through a community of believers that influenced you? That's quite a few. How about the natural mode? Just someone sharing Christ with you over a cup of coffee or in your living room or something? Wonderful. And then what about the ministry mode? Through an event, a specific event that someone invited you to where the gospel was shared. Okay. I think the first one was the most people, and the second way, natural way, was the second most people, and the ministry mode was the third way. Third, or the lowest amount of people. (laughs) Okay, so the implication is to think about evangelism in these ways. As a church, we need to, all of these ways are great, and God uses all of them, but we need to think of balancing them out. And I really believe, I think Dave and I really feel that the natural way Every one of us learning how to share Jesus in a natural way with the people that we're in contact outside of our church every day is going to be more and more important because of how our culture is. I think fewer people may want to come to an event and more people, we're gonna, they're going to want to know you and why you believe in Jesus. So anyway, that's the Amen. Yeah. Best speaker you'll hear of today. Sad. She's leaving the stage. Um, so here's a, a little bit longer explanation about the implication. So we need a comprehensive approach. Uh, we, we need to employ all three of these modes to evangelism. Uh, when we come into a town or do something through Zoom these days in training leaders, we, we, we want to say that we want to equip every follower to normalize sharing the gospel and making disciples, but we want to help the leader um, understand the comprehensive approach to evangelism. We do a Bible study uh, in the book of Acts to show what an evangelism movement looks like. But what happens is in the churches is that we, we quickly kind of go to our default position uh, usually, and it's, it's normally taking a very narrow approach to evangelism. We largely rely on one mode or approach uh, that is insufficient in today's context. To be effective, you, you need all of them together. So we, we sometimes, like in, in my church, we've had to learn over and over again that we need to keep pounding away at helping people in the natural mode of evangelism because it's not what they have typically experienced. It's been more of an event mode a Pure Flex film or an event at the church or a picnic or, you know, Josh McDowell's coming or Billy Graham or Luis Palau or whatever, and we gear up and they do their thing and very, very few come, but those that come, it's effective and they come to Christ and we take a small dent, but what we need to do at the non-Christian population, we make a small dent, but what we need to do is employ, deploy, motivate, train Everybody in this room, where you live, work, learn, play, and be a dandelion, where you seed through meaningful conversations every relationship you're in. So I'd like to introduce to you uh, something we call cojourners. It's a 
a framework, that's an equipping paradigm, which provides a way of thinking regarding uh, conversational evangelism. We know that people are on a spiritual journey. Uh, we have a, the opportunity to come alongside them in their spiritual journey and play a role uh, in their journey, in that work that God has already begun in, in them. So this particular module that I'm on is, is meant to uh, build your confidence in initiating in personal evangelism through simple tools and skills. And we, we always say in cojourners that there are three main uh, motivations, and here's what they are. You have to believe that everyone's on a spiritual journey. They're spiritual creatures made from a spiritual God. They have an, a spirit in them that is meant to be connected to God where they find their meaning and purpose. They're not just mind, will, and emotions in the image of God, but they have a, a spirit that they're supposed to connect to God. Uh, we, all, we all employ this principle, too, is that God is already at work in that person's spiritual journey, and if you don't believe that, you're never going to have enough motivation to begin a conversation. But every single person on the planet is, is, being, is somehow experiencing God, the hound of heaven, trying to get in and lead them to himself, and that he also really wants to use you in that journey and that's, these are the founding principles of being a cojourner. The cojourner framework uh, employs this paradigm that there are four roles in a cojourner's life. We're going to look at, at uh, one example how Jesus was acting like this um, in, in the sermon coming up later this morning. But an explorer begins a conversation with asking questions and listening. Christians... Uh, uh, aren't known for their listening prowess today. And if you wonder, can you be an evangelist, and you hear that the very first role of an evangelist is to listen, it'll provide you more motivation to go, what? The first motion to, of evangelism is listening? I can do that. Well, be motivated, because it is. Asking questions and listening. Cojourners teaches how to uh, ask good questions and listen and look for more and more ways to get the gospel in the conversation. Then you take the role of a guide, where the role of a guide knows their personal story well, knows how to share the gospel a few different ways to lead somebody to Christ, and they, they try to lead them right to Christ, which is illustrated there. Sometimes the guide will come across a ravine or a or a river, or a, a, a boulder, or whatever, in the path of leading someone to Christ, and you've got to play this third role, which is that of a builder, or a bridge builder, where you have to bridge emotional issues, emotional baggage, uh, intellectual baggage, like, I don't believe the Bible is true, or I don't believe a, a personal God exists, or whatever. A God can't forgive me. You know, there's so many barriers you're going to run into, so there's skills to develop as a builder. And then once somebody does come to know Christ, you, you take the role of a mentor. This is an advertisement because Marty's in the, in the room. I highly encourage you to consider uh, utilizing Cojourners. It's free. It's on our webpage. The teaching notes are there, and the outlines for student notes are there too. It's an eight-week course, and I highly recommend it. You know, I, I'm, an, I'm a missionary. I'm a missionary and evangelist. And and can you imagine how many things I've been exposed to in my lifetime from 
any mission agency, seminary course, whatever. And I'm just saying, Cojourners is the best I've ever seen. Uh, and it was written by a really good friend of mine. I didn't have anything to do with it, so I'm not talking about myself. But a cojourner experiences this over and over again. They, they have significant conversations where they discover somebody's spiritual journey and how God wants to use them in that journey. And that's the fulfillment of this particular passage where Paul exhorts us in Colossians 4. He says, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer every man. So I'd like for you to think of this word picture of an explorer. What does an explorer, just have two or three people shout out, what does an explorer do? What, what, what's their reality? What's their motivation? What do explorers do? What's that? They discover. Adventure. Excitement, absolutely. And they go into unknown territory to discover, to learn, to understand things. And most people's spiritual journeys are unknown territory to us. Even if we've known the person for a long time, it's still unknown territory to us. But as explorers in the cojourner role, we help, we engage them to discover who they are and where they are on their journey. And what we discover determines the other roles we play. These aren't linear roles. You know, the, the thing that it, you don't think of this as linear, but the, always the very first role you play is that of an explorer. And then whatever you discover determines what role you play next. It's an important thing. But there are two, two skills of, a, of an explorer that we train in. And today we're just going to do a little bit on explore, but the two are listening, I've already said it, and then asking good questions. And when you think about power tools in the, in, you know, home building, let's say, industry, they always speed up the job and they take, it, take you further into the job, faster into the job. And as evangelists and explorers, we need explorer power tools to uh, open up and take us further, farther, faster into a conversation with somebody. And so today, Karen and I are going to introduce three, four power tools. So the first one I just call conversation starters. Did you know that when, if you were to read the New Testament with just, I'm going to only look for questions Jesus asked, questions he asked, you would discover that he asked 139 different questions, 139. So if you want to be like Jesus then you need to learn how to ask very good questions. It's important that we do and be like him and follow in his footsteps in the mission. We also need to learn to master uh, listening to the answer. So every person has longings and wounds, and explorers are, are after seeing what wounds exist in that person that are unhealed and seeing what longings are in that person that are unsatisfied through the questions they ask. And here are a few great questions that we have used over the years, and I'll tell a story as I go, that guide the discussion to explore people's wounds and longings. So uh, I'm gonna, you can take a picture of this. I'm not going to talk through this slide, but I, I really like these questions. 
Um, so you could ask, in this season, how is the COVID-19 season impacting you personally? D don't get into arguments about whether it's a hoax or not. You're an evangelist. It's, it, I'm not suggesting it is a hoax, but don't get into the political stuff about it. That, that would just be wrong. You're an evangelist. How is the COVID-19 season affecting you personally? Just let them, let them talk. Um, what's your, and then completely unrelated to COVID, um, what, what fears are you dealing with? What makes you anxious? What gives you hope? Um, if you could know God personally, if it was even possible, oh, I think it really is possible, by the way, don't do that. Just if, if you could know God personally, if he could be known personally, would you be interested? See where that goes. Or do you think about spiritual things very much? When you do, what do you think about? Or has anybody ever simply and briefly described what a Christian is or isn't? Are any of those things important to you or meaningful to you? See how they answer. And the more questions you ask and the more they speak, you're going to discover ways to get your story in and get the gospel in or an invitation to something in. And this is a great skill to master. Now, when you look at this list, I'm just going to ask three people in here who are bold uh, to raise your hand and, and answer this question. Of those questions right there, what do you think would be the easiest one for you to utilize? That you're motivated. It's like, I could do that. Anybody? What gives you hope? Amen. It's really easy to ask. Now, you don't start a conversation with that. Once you're in, it's like, if, the, if you can tell it's going somewhere, it's what gives you hope today? You know, it's a great one because we're experiencing fires and hurricanes and political divide and COVID and job loss, and it'll come up. You know, well, okay, what, what gives you hope? Anybody else? Yes. Yeah, how, how are you experiencing fear and anxiety today? Amen. Anybody else? It's harder to ask that last question early on in the, in the conversation, but here's how you might be able to get that one in quickly. Is when they ask you, what do you do? You answer it. And uh, you could say, and there are other things that are really important to me. You know, you say, I'm an engineer with whatever, and there are other things that are really important to me. And see if they go, well, like what? Or if a pastor, if somebody asks me, I'm a full-time missionary with Campus Crusade for Christ. I've been a missionary in Eastern Europe. and I don't do that. I don't say that. I say I run a faith-based nonprofit. And we're about meaningful relationships, changed lives, and giving people an opportunity to make a difference in this world. And they go, what? And there's so much to latch onto there to have them ask questions. And eventually I'll say, yeah, and I, and I do that as a pastor and, and, a, and I get leaders together from the private, public, and social sectors to take care of well-being issues in the city. And they go, what, what, like well-being issues? What do you mean? I go, well, what's a problem you'd want to solve in the city if you could snap your finger? Oh, poverty. Oh, homelessness. Oh, this. Oh, that. Oh, that. I go, yeah, we... I work with people that deal with all those things. We're really concerned. 
How did you get concerned that? Well, it has to do with my relationship with God. Oh, and then I go, if you could know God personally, would you be interested? Just learn a few great questions and how to introduce yourself, and you'll be off to the races, I promise. Um, okay, so I think Karen has the next one. This is my favorite person and evangelism uh, strategy. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I thought of one more question, too. Um, and this would probably work in Oklahoma because you're kind of in the Bible Belt, but when you're talking with someone, if they're kind of a new person to you, you could ask, have you found a church here that you like to attend? They might say yes. If they say no, you can ask, oh, um, you know, if you were ever going to go to a church, what would be important for you to have happen there? You know, and, and that, that then you're going to hear some of their spiritual journey. It's just, I used that once with a hairdresser, you know, and she was young, so... Because people like to talk about their journeys, and everybody has a spiritual journey. They grew up a certain way in a culture, or they didn't grow up in church, but they can tell you about that. Anyway, this next one, all of us that do this training, this is our favorite one because it's so simple, and it's so effective, and we call it sometime. When you're having a conversation with someone, whether you've known them a long time could, whether they're your uncle or your cousin or somebody you meet for the very first time, you can say, you know, in the conversation, sometime I'd love to hear more about your spiritual journey. Would you be up for that? Almost everybody says yes to that because everybody's on a spiritual journey and it's very non-threatening sometime. It's not like right now we got to talk about this, but sometime I'd love to hear more and Almost everybody says yes to that. And then you say, how about next Thursday at Starbucks? And you're off and running. If you employ the sometime strategy, you're two conversations away from sharing the gospel with somebody. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Uh, Karen's right that every time I've said, hey, sometime I'd like to hear your journey, 100% of the time people have wanted to meet with me and tell me their journey. 100% of the time. And all I do is sit and listen. And that's hard to do because they'll say sometimes crazy things that I don't even believe in. But you just keep listening because they're sharing something about that's their journey that's important to them. You don't want to get sidetracked uh, with little things they say that you might disagree with or that offend you even. But, and, then, and then after you've listened a long time, 80% of the time they'll say, hey, next time we get together, I want to hear your journey. And if they don't ask you that, you can go, hey, hey, next time we get together, I'd love to tell you my journey. Would that be okay? And, and you're ready for the, the next tool I'm going to give you, where you share your story in a certain way. Sometime opens doors in such a great way. I'd really encourage you to employ it. Um, I was doing reading tutors. Uh, I was a reading tutor with title, in a Title I public school in Martin City, uh, in the Kansas City area, and I was working with LINC, Local Investment Commission, and we mobilized a bunch of summer missionaries to be reading tutors uh, in school programs in the summertime, and so there was a lot of kids way behind the third grade reading level between kindergarten and, and uh, third grade that they would give us uh, tutoring time with, 
And we would work alongside the employees of Link, Local Investment Commission, and one of them was Walter. And, I, and we, would, we didn't have a lot of time with each other, but we'd find each other. He's an adult African-American friend, and, and uh, we became friends on the playground while we were playing with the kids. And I, and I told him during one of these times, hey, sometime I'd like to hear about your spiritual journey. He goes, great. I go, how about if we meet at Jack Stack, and, uh, and I'll take you out to dinner. He brought a friend. I go, great. I listen to their stories. They asked me mine, led both of them to Christ. You know, it just, it's a great way to do it. And you can ask that question. It's easy. Um, okay, so the next one is your story. So right now, I'd like to ask you to do one thing. Write two or three words that describe your life before you became a Christian or before you began to discover how awesome it was to walk with Jesus. You might have been raised in the church, and, and it's like, well, I, I don't have a great testimony. You know, I didn't come to know Christ in prison, you know, or after I shot somebody, or, you know, after I was a hippie or something like that. But, but just two or three words that describe your life before you walked with Jesus or knew Jesus. And try to pick words that are not religious, that any person could understand. Two or three words. Then also find two or three words that describe your life now. And you're going to say, you're going to be tempted to say sanctified and praising Jesus all day long or whatever, but try to describe words that other people would like really relate to or want to be true of their life. Uh, I'm going to call on a few people here in a second, but here's, here's what we're asking you to do. Choose two or three words to describe your life before you walk with Christ, became a Christian. Two or three words to describe your life now. For me, when I did this, and I, it, it took me hours to come up with the right words, so I'm not giving you enough time, but these were mine. Postponing my emptiness and moving toward um, abundance. So those were mine. Uh, who would like to tell me your two or three words before you became a Christian or walked with Jesus? Just give them to me. Raise your hand and give them. Yes. Okay, scary. lots you can do with that. Scary, lonely, and chaotic. Can you think of one person that asks you, what's your name, sir? Jerry. Hey, Jerry, next time we get together, I'd like to hear your journey. And if you, and if, and if you opened your story with a sentence that included scary, lonely, and chaotic, I'm locked in. Totally locked in. Anybody else? And I'll come back to you here. Yes, Carol? Okay. Child's fear, a boyfriend's love, and church. Okay. Excellent. Uh, one more. Describe your life in two or three words before you came to Christ. Marty. <laughs> I, I, he's uh, looking for love in all the wrong places. That'd make a great song. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's, but it's true. Yeah, that that's true. Okay, so then what you do is you create a gospel pointing phrase that connects these three words, these six words, these four words, whatever you come up with. And so um, what I'd encourage you to do is 
to connect a door-opening phrase to the gospel with these things. Let me give you an example, okay? So here's mine. Walter says, after I listened to his story over Jack Stack and while we're drinking tea, uh, you know, getting our uh, sleep afternoon feeling on because we ate too much barbecue, uh, he goes, well, what's your story? And I, and I, I never launch into my three-minute testimony and just open my Bible and blast, not at first. I always do my three-sentence testimony, my three-phrase testimony. I always say this. I, I say, Walter, um, there was a time in my life, especially when I was 17, where I noticed that no matter what I put into my life, I was only postponing my emptiness. And it got to be so serious that I began to read the New Testament because I was raised in the church and never really done that, and I was really hurting. And when I did, I discovered that my total concept about God was wrong and that He wanted a relationship. And since that time, I've, I've been following Him and feel like I'm moving toward abundance. And I just let it hang in the air. It's like, what was your concept of God? Or what do you mean, you were, what, what choices were you making? And they start asking me questions. And I unpack my testimony that way and get to the gospel. You, you, you hear me? So I'm going to give you one minute to think about yours, your whole three sentences. Just, just take a little time right now, okay? Get used to the silence. So will I. So what you're doing is finding a connection phrase that's gospel-pointing or gospel-rich. And, you know, I'm not... I'm not denying Jesus or the gospel with this sentence. It's, it's pointing in the direction I want to take the conversation as a guide. Now we're talking about being a guide. Take a minute. Friday night, I talked about how important it was to understand Generation Z and the millennial generation. And part of this training leans in that direction because of the 160 million that are lost in our country. They, the vast, vast, vast majority of them come from those two generations. And this is why I've learned to talk this way, is I ease into the conversation. They're, they're used to Christians that they're fleeing the church from of just being talkers and not listeners and using words that they're completely unfamiliar with. Uh, I had a 20 and 21-year-old African-American and white guy come to our church uh, two summers ago, and the guy goes, oh, you guys sing here? Never been to church before, 21 years old, grew up in 
Jackson County, uh, Kansas City, Missouri suburb. Unbelievable. That's the future of the American mission field. So you, you've got to learn to, to speak with words that are meant for people. Talk like a real person instead of using words that are meant for the pews. Language is communal. You, you talk like people you grew up with. They didn't grow up with you. So you've got to learn to talk like they do. And then introduce them to concepts that they've never heard of before. Like the cross and forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And, but I don't open with words like that. Okay, so does anybody have a semblance of maybe a sentence you'd want to share with the audience? Like, here's my story in three or four phrases. Anybody? Yes. Say it loud. Three phrases. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. No, but then after I, after I met someone who had been through the divorce and then kept it from me, my life was changed. Wow. Freed from anger, freed from powerlessness. And uh, I just went back to what I was doing. What, what's your name? Chris. Chris, you're, you're feeling trapped, angry, whatever. There's, you put that into three or four sentences? It's perfect. It's a great story. Thanks for sharing it. People are going to really want to know more of what you mean by that. And, and what we've got to learn to do is when they ask us a question, just slip in a brief answer. That's why I'm encouraging you to do it in three or four phrases. Really, I really am. We used to be trained in three or four minute testimonies. I still have mine. I still use it. But three or four minutes of listening at the beginning... Uh, for them, is, is just going to be too much. You want to get your phrase in. Okay? Awesome. It took me two or three hours to hone mine into that little thing where I felt satisfied. And you're going you're gonna to be unsatisfied with, it's like, I didn't say enough. I didn't say enough. It's like, well, you hone it down so you can use it. And then you can unpack what you didn't say in the conversation. It's really important to do. Okay, anybody else? One more example? Yes. Oh, that's great. Lots, lots of good stuff there. And when you hone it down, memorize it because you're going to be saying it a lot especially if you use the sometimes strategy. Next time, I want to hear yours. And if the next time and they hear yours again, if you go too, too, too long, they're going to go, oh, man, I wish I didn't ask. Um, so just seed the conversation, dandelions. See what happens. Does it, does it take or not? And then keep going. Okay, I'm going to show you one more uh, tool. It's called the Jesus film app. It's one of the most effective strategies we used worldwide. I'm sure that some of you have seen the Jesus film, and in a sophisticated society like our own, it's not the best Hollywood version of, of Jesus' uh, life, but it's been used in 
It's in 1,800 languages around the world. And they have done so much as a, as a ministry. I want to introduce you to something. But we use the power of film to create opportunities for people to engage with life-changing story of Jesus in their heart language, no matter where they are in the world. And we believe it's very important for evangelism because seeing is believing. You know how people say that? And we use media to communicate the gospel because it helps connect to Jesus, as I said, in their own language. So film is a very powerful way to connect with God, to connect with others, and ultimately help others connect with God. And the Jesus Film app, I'm going to take you through it in just a second, but I want you to see this film together. Okay, what resonates with you most about that film? Love, okay. What about anybody else? Care? Did somebody say that? Okay, yes? Destroying and enjoying. Okay, let's say you showed that to somebody on your Jesus Film app or you put it on your Facebook page or Instagram and you ask the question, have you ever been loved like that? What's your relationship with your father like? Is it a source of delight or something else? And you begin a conversation through asking a question after you've shown them a short film. Well, the Jesus Film app has hundreds and hundreds of short films like that around these topics. Just want you to know that. Um, so there are 43 different four short films to, on these topics, but uh, along with this film and hundreds others, uh, if you haven't already downloaded it, I'd encourage you to download it. All you have to do is, is look for that symbol. It's called the Jesus Film Project app and just download it onto your app. And now I want to show you how you could use it. We use it all the time. So we have We've shown you conversation starter questions today, your story sometime. This is the last one we're, we're giving you today. It's the Jesus Film app, but this is what you do. So you click on the menu in the upper left. This is mainly for people with gray hair, by the way. Uh, you, you, you select browse, and this is where you're going to find all of our films, okay? You browse it, and then it's going to take you to a, a list of, of films, you see conversation starters. There are 40 videos 
just for conversation starters. There's uh, a 33-minute field called Struggle and Triumph, Days with Jesus, this kind of thing. And you scroll down and you find all these things. Here uh, is Delight, you know, I, I, which I showed you. You've got Uninvited Guests. Falling Plates is the, one of the best gospel presentations I've ever seen. Falling Plates. It's really awesome. Put it on your webpage today, on your Facebook page. The Demoniac, you know, you've got stuff in cartoons and film and, and for young, for old. It's incredible. Um, and then for, for especially gray-headed people, um, that little symbol right there, that means download. You can download it onto your, your, uh, your phone. And if you want to come up with your own engaging questions about the film, that's great. But, but Delight has, has these three after you show it to somebody. So you're showing them on, the, on your phone over, hey, can I show you this great film? And it takes a minute. Then, and then you can say, what did you like about this film? What did you dislike? Can you picture your parents delighting in you when you were young? What do you think that was like for this girl? Or God is called Father in the Bible. How does the idea of God delighting in you make you feel? These are conversation starters. Um, let me just show you other things. It's got other questions. You know, you hit the questions and you got there. Then you can go back to browse and you can go to the full-length Jesus film. It's 88 minutes and it's in... 1,673 languages. So why is that important in the United States of America? There are 361 unreached people groups now living in the United States of America. And I guarantee you, if you want to invite somebody over to show them on your TV screen utilizing this app or the webpage utilizing you know, this, their webpage, you could show the entire Jesus film in their language. And I guarantee you they'll weep all the way through it. Um, they love to hear their own language. So you go to that little thing right there in the middle, and it shows you that's, you know, and you pick the, the language you want, like for instance. And then you, oh, and then you can share it. Oh, and they're in segments too. They've got the, the film, but they have two-minute segments. The beginning of the world, baptism of Jesus, the demoniac of Jesus. You can, you can browse through and go, oh, I could use a lot of these a lot of different times. And then you have this little, this little arrow going up. Young person, tell, tell you right there. Uh, tell, tell me what that arrow means. That's the share button. That's the share button. Oh, I've always wondered what that was. So that means if you hit it, you can share it through a, a text message to your granddaughter or share it to your Facebook page or your Instagram account or whatever. Um, so that's what that is. So it'll take you, when you hit the share button, it'll take you to an image like, oh, I can email it. I can put it there, 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 there. And then there's another tool on there called God Tools. It's this little image there. And God Tools has lots of great things you can read through with people to lead them to Christ. Okay. There are other things coming. I don't know if any of you all remember Story of the Soul. It was a uh, short film artistic coffee house that we created in Hungary. And we did it in coffee houses, bars, churches. And we still do it across the United States too. Uh, Jesus Film just adopted it. 
and it's going to be on the film. It's something we created in Hungary. I couldn't be more pleased about it, but it'll be on their webpage in October. Really pumped about it. You guys had a lot to do with it, but this, this is the, uh, the branding for it, that middle picture there. Okay, so Karen, why don't you join me for this, this last part? Uh, we're, we're, we're over, but here's what I'd like to ask you to do, and I want to hear from three people, okay? Imagine with us, as people who dream, uh, imagine a growing number of believers who are living the prayer, care, share lifestyle, and they're joining the dandelion movement, in a sense, where they're having significant conversations, gospel conversations, where they live, work, learn, and play. Just imagine it. All across the United States, in gas stations, coffee houses, workplace, playgrounds, university campuses. Um, just imagine it. And what, what do you think that would be? be like? Why would that envision you? Why would that inspire you? What would it look like, feel like? Anybody want to answer? Kingdom of God, great answer, being unleashed. Amen. People, pardon me? The harvest is ready, and we would discover that. Church stepping out of the building. Amen. I'm going to let you close. Let me enjoy Sean Chocolate Head. That's Hungarian. I just rudely said something to her in Hungarian. Okay, let's pray as we thank God for all these things. Father, we're so grateful for these minutes that we've had together with each other, uh, thinking about ways that we can share our faith with our friends, our grandkids, our relatives and maybe somebody we've met just for the first time. I pray that you would bring these tools to our memories. Pray that you give us boldness to practice them. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, because we know that your Spirit gives us the power to be your witness wherever we are. So thank you for this time. Thank you for heritage. Thank you for the impact that this church has in Oklahoma City and Edmond um, and beyond. We're very grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.